Welcome to the Chalk Up Podcast, where we'll explore professional coaches and athletes' mindsets, philosophies, experiences in the world of strength and conditioning. Right there, morning guys. Um, great episode today. Okay, we've got Charlie on. Charlie, hello. How are you? Morning. Good, mate. You? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. James, Mike, good morning. Good morning, morning, all. Morning, 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 morning. So, guys, we've got Charlie on. He is actually James's nutrition coach, okay? And uh, we're just going to be taking him through a spin um, with some cool subjects. So, hopefully, uh, you enjoy this. So, to start off with Charlie, if you could give me just a small breakdown of what you're doing at the minute, okay? And we'll go and tap into um, what you were doing previous to this. But what are your jobs at the minute with James and... uh, people like that brilliant yeah so i am full-time self-employed a performance nutritionist i have something like 25 clients at the moment that i work with online one-to-one um and then that's the majority of my role i'm branching out into a little bit of corporate wellness stuff and corporate performance stuff um i do a little bit of mentoring in terms of other nutritionists particularly those that own their own business and things like that um so that's the majority of it. I've got a few things in a few different parties, but yeah, yeah, that a little bit of lecturing as well on the side. Just I like doing lots of different things, so I've got lots of different things going on. Nice. And are all these clients online, sort of based? Yeah, 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 all online. Yeah, nothing in person, luckily, because then when COVID hit, it didn't really affect me. And if anything, I think I got more clients. Yeah, COVID. So Good. yeah, ah, wicked, wicked, mate. So moving into the different style of uh, clients you have. Obviously, I know you'll probably have people who are looking for um, body composition goals, so the fat loss stuff. And then people like James and um, me and Mike would be looking for that performance goal. So if you could sort of break down what your principles are for athletes' nutrition and where you think athletes most struggle with, uh, with their nutrition in performance, um, where would you Um, say they most struggle with? It's nearly always fueling. And it's the balance between them wanting to focus on body composition and me wanting them to fuel for the activity they're doing. And it's so rare for me to come across an an athlete that fuels adequately for whatever competition or training they're doing. Um, So my first thing when I work with an athlete, they think it's going to be, oh, eat this or don't eat this. It's normally to put carbs up because they're not normally eating enough carbohydrate to fuel whatever exercise they're doing. Um, and I've seen this, having worked in pretty much every sport that you can think of in some capacity, there's no like one sport where it's better or worse. Every single sport that I've come across is pretty similar. Um, and we see that in the research as well. Like the research showed, I think they did a study in Premier League football. I think it was in Liverpool. And even then there were times in the week where they weren't meeting carbohydrate um, recommendations in terms of fueling for the week. So, yeah, it's always the biggest one for me with athletes. So what, what, why do you think that is? Is there a reason why athletes are sort of looking at, oh, God, I don't want to be fueling too much because I don't want to put excess uh, weight on? Or is it just is it just they don't have the education on it? Do they just not know? I think sometimes it's a little bit of education. So sometimes, particularly around timings, actually don't know what it is they should be eating and when. Because it is generally really individual as well, particularly when we look at closer to training and competition, what's going to work for someone is actually going to upset someone else's stomach and it's going to put them off trying it. So we need to make sure that whatever we're recommended around training works for that person. Um, most people don't actually know what that is for them because they've never worked with someone to understand that and try different things out. Yeah. Um, some of it is body composition, 100%. Um, probably some of it comes from like general population, nutrition and social media where carbs are bad or make you fat. Um, so there is that concern there for athletes, I think. But... Sometimes it is just the application, which normally it is with nutrition. Like more knowledge isn't often the answer. It's actually how do I apply this to people? Like most people know how to eat well. If you look at the general population, you know, in terms of general health, you should be eating more fruit and veg. You should be doing more movement. You should be all the things we should be doing to be healthy. Everyone knows it, but not many people are doing it. So what for me is the gap normally is trying to bridge the gap between yeah. what they know and how they behave. That's generally where people fall down. I think that's, I think that's a real interesting point because obviously when I started with you, pal, um, you know I obviously wasn't eating nowhere near enough um, for mm-hmm. food and stuff like that. My calorie was in ridiculous deficit, um, 
and that was I was with another company before that who wasn't actually that research based and they're always in such low calories and then you wonder why like your performance is nowhere near where it needs to be and like that that's 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 really interesting because obviously like when I was I was really struggling to eat like from the start and then obviously suddenly like when I kept doing it and doing it like now I'm like I can easily hit the calories I need and you can feel the difference like from your weight sessions when you get that sugar in and the carbs in post and pre so it's a really interesting point for athletes. But when he says about the influences, I think, and the social media, like that, that hits me quite a bit. You know, when you look on Instagram and you see someone absolutely shredded and jacked and you're like, well, I'm eating all this food. Like, am I going to get that shredded and stuff like that? Yeah. 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 I think that's what social media so does though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And there's so much to unpick there. And like when we spoke on the phone first, you knew you were underfueling. I don't think... Because you you still felt quite full and you actually didn't know how I'm actually going to get all of this carbohydrate in. So again, the knowledge for you wasn't necessarily the issue. It was actually how the hell do I do this? Like this isn't, I'm always full. I'm not really hungry. How do I change my food and the composition of the food to actually do that? Um, but yeah, social media plays a massive role. The thing I always think with athletes is that some athletes do need to change body comp and will need to be a little bit leaner to perform. That's a lot rarer than someone that needs to feel better, in my opinion. Like, and also the effects will be different. Like you've said how big the effects of fueling properly are versus the effect of taking 1%, 2% body fat up. I think the difference is huge. Um, okay, so when, when, you, when, you take, when you take on a new athlete, um, what would you say, if you could nail three down, what are the three sort of topics where you're like trying to express to them, this is what we need to start bringing into your nutrition? Yeah, that's a good question. So for me, probably protein intake and spacing particularly. So common in like the general population, but also in athletes is that we won't eat enough protein and also that protein will be really loaded towards the evening. So if you think what a normal person's diet is, that we're like cereal and toast at breakfast, maybe a sandwich at lunch and then a normal stand, like bog standard spag bowl, uh, chili sort of dinner. Yeah. So what you'll see is no pro- or very little protein in the morning a little bit more at lunch with whatever the sandwich filling is and then a ton in the evening. So what we're looking for is more uh, adequate protein spaced out throughout the day with probably another protein feeding or two. So we probably want four or five protein feedings throughout the day, like breakfast, lunch, dinner, probably some sort of snack either in the morning or the afternoon and then something before bed. Because if we want protein every four hours, but we're fasting for eight hours when we're asleep, obviously not good. So our yeah. body can use that before bed. I think that's um, so another... Protein's probably you, you're on about the uh, protein before bed. I know a lot of old school, like I, people find that hard to get their head around that as well. Do you guys find that with your clients sometimes? Yeah, definitely. Because like the old school, like not eating before bed and making mm-hmm. sure you're not full. Like what's the research and science behind that just for the listeners, pal? You know, if you're yeah, in terms of bed. Eating, eating before bed, in terms of like weight gain or anything, which is normally people's um, concern, there isn't any. It's obviously, it comes down to calories in versus calories out over a period of time. Um, what you'll find with eating before bed is generally what causes people to gain weight when they eat before bed is what they're eating before bed and what they're doing. So you're normally sat in front of the TV, like a zombie, with biscuits, crisps, nuts, etc. And you don't even realise you're eating. And then you look round when you, before you get to bed and you've eaten two packets of whatever you were doing. And yeah. that's six, 700 calories. And they think it's, oh, it's because I'm eating at eight o'clock. It's obviously my metabolism or whatever. It's not. It's because you've eaten so many calories you didn't even realise you'd eaten because you're mindlessly eating it so in um, a way it's simpler than people make out isn't it way simpler mate which it always is always is <laughs> <laughs> so say when you took someone on like james and he yeah. told you about his history with his nutrition and uh, just so the listeners know um james has a big endurance event next year he's running oh, 200 and some 30 kilometers through the amazon jungle it's a massive massive challenge but physically massive challenge but nutritionally it's just huge. So when you get someone like James uh, approach you and be like, listen, this is my goal. Where do you start with that kind of endurance athlete? Yeah, that's a good question. So I guess it comes down to any sort of nutrition change, really. There's probably a pyramid that you want to work through. So you want to start at the base and make sure all the proper things are sorted first. And then there's some more advanced things that we need to sort out first. The, that base would probably be things like fruit and veg, which James is pretty good at anyway. Uh, the protein stuff that I spoke about, and then the carbs. So that when you said the three things that I'd focus on for an athlete, they'd probably be the three. Protein, yeah. make sure you're fueling adequately and 
probably looking at six or seven portions of fruit and veg as a minimum per day. Why would um, you say that? As in, why would I say six and seven portions yeah, of fruit and yeah. veg? Generally, we know that more is better. So obviously the five a day that everyone knows about, which should have five portions of fruit and veg a day. Yeah. That's like a minimum that a government set for everyone. And there's some like epidemiological research. So where we look at all the people and just say how much fruit and veg are you eating every day? We can see that seven's better than five. We can see that 10 is probably better than seven. Okay. Um, so generally, but also you've got to think, what's this person actually going to be able to do? And so for James, I think seven's quite a nice middle ground where that's sufficient for his health. But obviously fruit and veg has a lot of fibre in it. If he's having loads of fibre, he's going to struggle to eat more because he's full. We want him to eat more to meet his calories. Otherwise he's under fueling and that's a problem for health. So um, yeah, they're the three things I'd want to think about. And with James, he was doing some of the basics well, but his energy intake was pretty low, like he said, in comparison to where it should be. So that was the first thing we focused on. And to be honest, probably... The only thing we focused on really, wasn't it, James? I think. Yeah, that was the only thing really. And I think that that honestly made such a difference to any sort of training when you go into any sort of training. Um, being fueled is massive, massively important. I wish I knew that back a little bit more in my rugby days, you know what I mean? Rather than, because I used to have real bad stomach upsets when I was playing sport. I don't know about you, old, but literally I was on the toilet like 10 times before I went out for a game. <laughs> And like, is that just being nervous? Nerves, just, no, yeah, no. Yeah. I, I'm a nervous person. Yeah, that definitely nerves. <laughs> but it was also like, I reckon I was eating. I, I, I struggled with quite a bit of pasta. And I used to smash loads of pasta when I'm for rugby and stuff like that. And that used to yeah. feel a big blow. And I was yeah. taking pre-workout like an hour before the warm up. And then I was like, oh, the time, the time, the time, the time, the whistle went. I was on a downer. But yeah, I, I think it's massively important. That might be so to the booze afterwards as well. Yeah. <laughs> but those those three things Charlie said about which is protein, fats and carbs, they're the ones you focus on the most. Yeah. I think um, this then ties really well into our next question where we want to sort of elaborate a bit more into our macros. Yes, we've got our endurance athletes, but then we've got our strength athletes like Big Mike is, in, uh, is trying to compete in the strong men. If you had those two different people come up to you um, asking for nutrition coaching, obviously you attack it completely differently, but... For some of the younger listeners, that this might be a good opportunity to just get some learnings from. So, say if you had Mike come up to you, he wants to go compete in strong men. Where would you start with him? Yeah, good question. So, actually, a lot of the one-to-one stuff I do or have done in the past is more strength-based. So, most of my work was powerlifting, Olympic weightlifting, strong man, strong woman, particularly strong woman, which is like a really big area for me when I started out uh, self-employed. Obviously, the body composition thing is massively different. Although I don't like hyper focus on body composition, it's still a focus. And with strongman, mass moves mass to an extent. So we want as much mass that he can move well. It's similar to rugby, I think, as well. Generally, particularly in certain positions, as much mass as you can move well is going to be useful because it's going to protect you from any sort of injury. Um, strongman's really funny in the way that you carry things. So the various different things that you have to carry are like it's weird movements so it's not like normal training in the gym there's like um like atlas stones and yokes and stuff like that so having a little bit more padding isn't the worst idea in the world if we can move it well um on the flip side with james and endurance sports power to weight is really important any excess weight that james is carrying particularly when he's actually doing the run is making him less economical so he's using more energy it's more effort to move that mass from a body competition perspective a completely different um even before we look at fueling and fueling again, it just comes down to what are the events you're doing? Um, what does training look like that day? How do we shift the carbohydrates around to make sure that if you're fueled for that training? So Mike would need less carbohydrate in theory because those sessions are shorter. Um, they're not as like glycogen demanding. They're not like um, James's two, three hour training requires a lot more carbohydrates to fuel it than an hour, hour and a half in the gym, depending on how long Mike's strongman sessions are. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. Just like going into that, I haven't really said a lot because you like Jim's already answered my questions. Like saying like he's underfueled. I also am underfueled, or I was before I got my nutritionist on board. And it's kind of scary to sort of look at it. But like, I gave him my plan. My plan was abysmal compared to what he gave me. But I was like underfueling by like twelve hundred calories. And like Jim's, we it's like me and Jim are like comparing. Obviously, like two different sort of ends of the spectrum. But I'm comparing sort of my nutrition compared to Jim's and. 
um, Jim's carbs are probably double what mine are, but my protein's probably like triple what Jim's are. Um, but it's just mad because literally I was completely underfueling, like struggling to not struggling to recover, but like I could recover, but it was like hard. Um, it's just mad, like how what you sort of put yourself through type thing, um, just because what you see on social media, what you read in books, but actually like more tends to be better in some sort of way. I, look, I probably don't look what you know, don't look shredded, but performance wise, absolutely on top of the world. Like my training's going absolutely amazing at the minute. Um, so yeah, I can't. I think you've, you've said that your numbers keep going up and up, aren't they? Like crazy. Like it's like silly numbers. Cause I'm, I'm putting like 1200 calories in the fuel tank. So, you know, well, I'm, don't big yourself up. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, literally, like, I'm just, yeah. Fueling's amazing. So yeah. it's what, really- what, On that chart, what, so, you know, obviously you've got those different diets that people go on. Like, what, yeah. are there benefits to that because i know there's a bit of research around keto diets and um endurance i know that, like there's a little bit of research around that like what, what so you got the ketos the fasting is that beneficial for athletes or is it just too too complicated just stick to the simple i mean most of those sorts of things so like the keto like fasting particularly paleo, any other any of that it's not great for athletes generally keto is probably the one that i'd have the most argument for it with endurance sports because the idea there is to get you burning more fat. And if you burn more fat, we've only got a limited source of carbs. We've got a massive ton of fats we can use because we've got fat stored in the body. So if you can spare carbohydrate in theory for them, burning fat and sparing carbs so the carb stores last longer would make sense for performance. In practice, it doesn't really work like that. So we know that you can burn fat at moderate intensity. Like you boys would know that from like exercise physiology back in the day. Yeah. But when you get higher intensity, you need carbohydrate. And if you go on those keto high-fat diets, your body doesn't utilize carbohydrate particularly well. So you'll probably be able to get into second and third gear when you're trying to push out on fourth and fifth gear, which in any sort of sport is where results happen. So even in endurance sports, you're looking at like a sprint finish or like a climb in the Tour de France or anything like that. It's the high-intensity work that separates the pack. It's not just who can last the longest at a low-intensity or medium-intensity it's who does what at the top end. Same in like football or rugby. Most actions aren't happening when you're walking around, are they? Like a try, mm-hmm. no one's walking through for a try. It's that really quick, high intensity burst. Um, so you don't have that fourth and fifth gear. So for you, as soon as you just want to get round and it's not like you're racing against someone else, could it be an option potentially? We'd definitely look at how you, which fuel sources you're utilizing and how we manipulate that. Closer how, to do, how do you do that? How, how do you decide? So, as in, how do I decide when we do that or how we do that? No, how, how, yeah, how did you decide if someone's um, manipulating those fuel sources, the carbohydrates or the fats? I mean, the only way you can actually know is by measuring it. So you could get them on like a gas analyzer uh, okay. and then get them doing that intensity and seeing what fuel they utilize. Um, which, to be fair, is something you can do. Like if we go into one of the universities, it might be something closer to the time that we consider doing. Um, and I've got a few friends who have got different metabolic testing kits and stuff that we potentially tap into which is an option um but you can't really do it as guesswork because even within if you had two people on the same diet they'd have two very different responses to that diet in terms of how they utilize fuel so um yeah that's how i'd think about it but for, yeah. the, for the actual athlete then i wouldn't go anywhere near sort of high fat or keto diet so when it the, com- sorry oh, sorry go on jim you carry on uh, it was that is that the same with the strength as well so, you know, like ketos are massive in quite a lot of gyms. I know Ollie has worded a few gyms where ketos are massive. Like, what are, are they? They're so popular in the gyms, but like you're saying, they need to go in the third and fourth gear, fourth and fifth gear, mm. for example. In the gym, you're trying to go there all the time, aren't you? On the bench, on the squat yeah. and deadlift. So that you're saying they're, they're not good at all, really, for... I don't think so. I think when you think about the gym, is because like with strength sports, the difference in those, even though we bracket them as strength sports, it's still quite a big bracket. So like powerlifting, very different to bodybuilding in terms of sets, reps, etc. Um, strongman again, completely different. They're almost like completely different sports. You wouldn't think about them in the same way. Bodybuilding, I'd say almost definitely not because you're doing quite a lot of volume at quite high intensity, like you said. Powerlifting, you'd be closer to getting away with it, I think, because it's so such little volume you're not doing many sets and reps at all a training session um and it's much longer session with much longer rest periods so potentially the thing i always think about is which one would make you feel better and is there any benefit to keto and the only research to see and there's not much would suggest that keto is as good as 
normal carbohydrate containing diet for like powerlifting. And then you've got to think about well, which one makes me feel better. And then it's nearly always going to be carbs. And with fat loss, like you can lose fat and maintain that with a ketogenic diet. You can do it without doing a ketogenic diet. Which one are you most likely to stick to and adhere to and enjoy? Always going to be the one with carbohydrate in. At the end of the day, with like a powerlifting or strongman, you want to get stronger. So to get stronger, we need a bigger stimulus from your training. You put more work in, you get stronger as a result of it. If you don't feel that or don't feel good during that training, the stimulus won't be as good because you don't work as hard. So you're basically trying to set your diet up so you can work as hard as possible and feel as good as possible. And then you get a bigger stimulus, get stronger over time. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's, that makes a lot of sense when you sort of put it out like that. But um, when it comes to solids versus liquids, in, I think it's probably a bit more of a topic when it comes to the endurance runners. James has sort of touched base with me saying that, you know, your view is probably to get solids on rather than liquids. Uh, can you elaborate on that a bit more? I think it just depends massively on what the individual enjoys, particularly when you are actually doing the training. Mm. The one thing that you've got to bear in mind is that everyone's gut is slightly different. And a lot of people tend to struggle with digestion of um, whatever fueling strategy they're using during a race. So like, like runner's trucks, for example, really common. Um, people get like nausea, um, diarrhea, like vomiting, other horrible symptoms that don't make you feel very good. So if you're getting that, then you need to change it. I don't think I have a hard and fast rule like solids or liquids. Yeah. Generally, obviously you need fluid if you've got a longer run um, and you're hydrating, then liquids are going to be, if you can get liquid carbs, you're both hydrating and fueling at the same time. Um, yeah. But it really comes down to what have you practiced, what suits your stomach the best, what makes you feel good when you're running. Yeah, because I think I, I like I'm doing this um this run with Jim as well next year. And I was a bit stuck in my own way. And James was like, listen, you've got to start practicing fueling while you're on these runs. And I went and got some isotonic gels. I got my uh, sort of powder with the electrolytes and carbohydrates. And I did that. And I generally felt like I had a third lung. <laughs> it's yeah. just the improvement. I just, maybe performance-wise, it wasn't going faster, but I felt so much better during those longer runs. And I've just done... Even uh, did a challenge last week, a thousand burpees. I thought, okay, this is a bit more muscular sort of endurance. But then I was like, you know what, I'll take it for that. And again, I felt like I had a third lung halfway through. I was like, this feels great. Um, mm -hmm. So, but coming away from that sort of stuff, looking at different diets, we've got keto, paleo, plant-based, lots of people in the industry especially on Instagram, who probably don't know <laughs> probably quite what they're talking about compared to people like yourself. They're promoting these different diets. Which one would you say is the best? Or would you say it's just all, not all a lie, but it, they're just lots of people promoting something different. You've got people saying, well, actually, they all just put you into a calorie deficit if you're going for the, those body composition goals. So where, where, where does that sit with you when you see all these people promoting different diets? Yeah, it does all come down to body composition. The thing with like promotion and marketing is it's very difficult, very difficult to sell. It depends. People don't really buy like the grey area. People buy an extreme on one end or the other end. Yeah. Um, so you, you're never going to get someone who just goes, well, actually, it depends on you as the individual. And then people buy millions of whatever it is they're selling. Um, so, yeah, it generally does depend. If I really had to pick one, I'd probably go plant-based, if I'm honest. Can you elaborate on that? Really? Yes. Yeah, so when people say to me, should I have a plant-based diet? I generally say yes. Um, James is celebrating. He hasn't even finished yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You should, everyone should have a plant-based diet. But the thing with plant-based, it doesn't mean you can't have meat and animal products. It means you should eat more plants. And again, I don't come across many people in any sort of area I work in that couldn't eat more plants and would be better for it. Mm. Do I think that eating a plant-based diet without animal products is better than eating one with animal products? No, I think they're probably the same. So okay. if, if you wanted to change your diet for ethical reasons, because of like not wanting to kill animals, the environment, etc., I literally did not have a single problem with that. And I've never called someone out for wanting to do that. Yeah, if someone yeah. says I'm actually doing this because I perform, I think it shows that I perform more, I'm healthier. I would argue because I don't think the evidence is there to say that like a vegan diet is better than a omnivorous diet. So I, think, I think, Charlie, you've got some 
because you're saying some good points there and you've got to look at some athletes who are vegan based who are top of their game mm. and like literally like I think TJ Piriana the New Zealand number nine he's vegan yeah. Serena Williams I think she's vegan yeah, I Lewis think so, Hamilton. Yeah. There's a couple of footballers as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you've got to look at like people are so scared about. I'm not obviously. I like plant-based diets, but some people are scared of going those plant-based. But I always think people overeat meat, and fish. Like in my opinion, you know, when they go and have a meal, they have like three chicken breasts, or like when if, when you actually weigh the protein and then weigh the rice or the pasta, or whatever you're having with it, you don't need that much, do you? you really no, don't. I don't think so. I, I think a vegan diet is definitely sustainable for an athlete it is more challenging particularly at the start when you understand what it is that you might be missing what you'll need um particularly from a protein perspective you've got to get quite a varied source of protein to be able to get all the amino acids and the thing with plant-based amino acids is that you don't have all of the amino acids you need in one plant source so like if you ate a chicken breast you've got all the amino acids that you need just from that chicken breast yeah not a plant source that gives you that so you've got to eat a varied amount of and proteins throughout the day to make up for that. If you do that and you account for some of the other things like iron and uh, B12, which you might be deficient in, absolutely fine, not a problem at all. But it's just that some vegans don't necessarily do that and that's where they fall down. So I know- Some athletes will go, yeah, sorry. I reckon reckon Mike's bursting to get in because when it comes to, yeah, when it comes to these strong men and power- They love their meat. Yeah, these power athletes, how do you convince them? You say that, you say that though, because- I wanted to ask this question because there's a lot of people that I follow or or know of like in the like strongman like under 90 sort of scene who are vegans and preach about it that it's better or maybe not better but they just feel better maybe on the diet which I Did you see. say that's in the under 90 category? Yeah, so like under 90 like strongman which they're, they're the weak boys and they like com- they compete at it. <laughs> My question is is like is it is it better or is there no, is there any difference at all from eating like plant-based than meat or just plant-based alone? Like, is it better for strength sports and athletes? I don't think so. No. Okay. Well, the thing with a plant-based diet, you can eat an absolutely awful plant-based diet and you can eat a really good diet that contains meat in it. What you'll find with some plant-based diets, when people shift to a plant-based diet, if they've had a really bad diet that's contained meat, suddenly they've got to replace meat with some vegetables and they've, it's not the fact they've got rid of meat, it's the fact they've got from one portion of veg a day to eight or nine and suddenly feel unbelievable. Well, I probably could have predicted that. Like, if you eat more veg, you feel better. Like, that's not really a shock to me. Um, if they'd have kept the meat in and added the veg, would they have felt as good? I think they probably would. But, like, if someone says they feel better for it and they're getting as strong, like, who am I to tell them they don't feel better for something they've changed? Like, I can't say how they feel. If, they, if it suits them better, then... My job as a nutritionist is not to say, no, you're wrong. It's to say, okay, great. This is how we optimize that. So would you say sometimes, would you say sometimes it's a bit of an experiment for a couple of weeks, a month, let's say, to see where they're at after you setting them on a bit of a nutrition goal and target? Yeah, effectively. I think you have to, they have to be doing it for the right reasons. Like they have to, Mm. it doesn't like the amount of athletes that I had come up to me after the Game Changers documentary. I had about 30 athletes in this place for a week when I was at Hartbury. Yeah, saying sure. like, this is definitely better. I saw it on the documentary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like I bet you were pulling your hair out. God, why honestly, was that, right? why was was that Game Changers? So, I've, I've never watched it, guys. I know that biased. people were... It was, so why, was it a lot of bias, was it? Yes. Yeah, it was, it was fairly horrendous, mate, to be honest. Was it? Um, <laughs> a lot of it. <laughs> and it was a while ago and I only got about three quarters of the way through before I lost my head um, yeah I always took a week always took a week sick from Hartbury after all that mate <laughs> you're like I'm going travelling I'm going I'm yeah, yeah, yeah honestly I'm just going to take I'll be a bit man or something self-employed that's it self-employed was that this because Arnold Schwarzenegger was he selling plant-based is that why is that right was, uh, yeah he's he was selling up. a plant-based protein or something was that yeah, why he, yeah. he has now yeah and yeah. you know like less let's not neglect the fact there's also like you know steroids involved in these like bodybuilding days yeah. so you can't and then all of a sudden yeah. it's like preaching preaching about like vegan protein like yeah it's a bit of a i think where i think where where the why this blew up so much is because you've got so many people of the general population watching it and as soon as they hear a movie star or whoever is taking this diet on they're like well they look like that they must be right but no they're a flipping cartoon in a movie 
Like they've not done the education <laughs> to, yeah. to state the facts of what they're doing. Um, so that, I think really interesting topic there and we could go on for ages, but as well as that, with them um, sort of going plant-based and all of that, let's talk about supplements. So when it comes to athletes and the general population with supplements, would you say it's more essential for athletes than it is the general population? And this is me taking out people who have eating disorders and stuff. We're talking about people mm-hmm. who are, you know, pretty able to have what they want. Would you say there's a difference in supplement taking between athletes and somebody who's just going for functional fitness, let's say? Probably not really, I don't think. I don't think there's a massive difference, particularly if it's someone who's looking to go to the gym just to train better compared to someone who's performing. The supplements you'd use are pretty much the same, and there are only a handful that you'd recommend either way, really. Um, so, no, I don't think so. I think what I'd recommend would be pretty similar to a normal gym goer to an elite athlete. There wouldn't be much outside of that that I'd consider only for athletes. And what are those supplements that you'd recommend, John? So creatine monohydrate is one that I'd recommend for probably everyone in the population um, for loads of different reasons. For the listeners, what, what's, what does creatine actually do to the body? Because I, I have a lot of people stores, come and ask. You've got stores of creatine in your body and basically it fuels that really high intensity work from like 0 to 10 seconds. Um, if you've got more creatine, then basically you can do more weight or more reps or more work done. Obviously, the more work you do, the bigger stimulus you get and bigger stimulus you get. The, the better adaptation you get so you either get stronger fitter etc so any sort of sprinting lifting etc you'll perform better with creating monohydrates the most is that, incl- is that including into endurance athletes charlie endurance athletes is the one where you'd probably consider not using it um okay like james is a difficult one because he's he does strength training as well so you've got to weigh up pros and cons the cons with creating for an endurance athlete is it does come with this weight um there's water weight that's associated with it. So you'll probably gain one kilo to two kilos of water weight doesn't affect people at all in any way but as an endurance athlete like we said earlier when it comes down to power and weight if we're adding extra weight on that we probably don't need it's not serving performance but they've got this extra kilo or two of water on it's going to take a bit more energy to shift that weight so when we're looking to try and strip as much as possible that's probably one that we probably wouldn't consider for endurance athletes but pretty much everyone else and also for the endurance athlete, there are times in the year where you might, when they're doing a lot more strength training, just as to get their base of strength. Yeah. But then close to competition, then you'd remove creatine because it's not really serving a purpose anymore. Okay, so if you you coming out of uni, where did you go about setting your own sort of business up straight away? Where did, where did you get your experience? Did you think you needed the experience, or did you pretty much have it straight out of uni? Because there'll be a lot of people. Um, coming from uh, education and they'll go straight into uh, working for themselves. Do they need to build up the experience uh, with someone or go straight into it? Yeah, good question. So for me, I did my undergrad and then I went straight into my master's in sports and nutrition at Loughborough. Um, I was really fortunate to get an internship while I was there. So I worked with their sports team for a year. So I had a triathlon uh, men's and women's cricket and men's and women's basketball and then on top of that I worked with some of the TAS athletes which is like individual athletes in different sports so I had a boxer I had a rugby league player table tennis Olympic weightlifter so I got really good exposure to loads of different sports really quickly um, during that time a friend of mine from primary school put something on Instagram and said I'm I've got my first strong woman competition in a few months I need to lose seven kilos can anyone help me and obviously I wanted experience. So I was like, yeah, great. I'll help you. Helped her lose weight, um, helped her boyfriend, then a boyfriend's friend, boyfriend's friend's friend, which is sort of how my business started really. Um, yeah. And how I got into strength as well, because it is quite, Michael know quite a tight knit community. Everyone sort of knows everyone. Um, so I got a lot of clients that way. Um, so yeah, that was, that was how I got into it. And then I wouldn't, I did sort of try to start my business then but I didn't have much experience either as a coach or with business and it was awful um so I spent about nine months after my master's trying to get a job eventually I think it was about nine months afterwards I got the job at Harbury as a performance nutritionist for two and a half years and then while I was there I carried on building the business to the point where in December of last year I found that it was probably paying me more um it was more flexible I enjoyed it more um I know you spoke to Owen last last week about Harbury and stuff like that, but I felt like I'd done 
the sort of time that I needed to at Hartbury to learn what I needed to as a coach. And then I wanted to try some other things I spoke about earlier. So that was when the business was ready and I was ready. And I thought now's the time for me to move on and try and do this full time on my own. So for other coaches, I think you probably do need some experience like to go from university to trying to work online. It's really difficult, I think, um, or even working in person. Yeah. The one thing that you learn from experience is how to communicate all of the knowledge you've got at uni to make it useful to someone. So if I said to James, oh, like you need to eat this many grams per kilo of carbs or like a normal person, this much protein, like because of leucine and stuff like that, they just look at you like, what are you on about? So the thing with experience is you learn how to communicate what you know about the theory into actual information for someone to use. So, oh, so go on, Mike. One thing I know, as you, when we started this conversation, you said about you were starting like with corporate, and we've touched on like you know general population or training to train people that go to the gym, and then obviously like training to compete. What about the people that are corporate? Do, I mean, I, I train corporate people in London, so they're like you know people that are bankers, um, like commercial brokers. Like, what sort of or how do you approach their sort of diet and nutrition compared to like the general population? do you treat them the same as like training to train or do you try like, how do you sort of go about it? Yeah, they are generally, it would generally be pretty similar to general population. It would depend on the individual. Like you say, some of them that train, what I would try and do is someone's exercise and I'll try and help them get the most out of that exercise. Cause the more they get in, put into it, the more they get out of it and the better they are as a human, the more they can flourish. So I, I would generally just treat them as someone um, that can train one thing I am really interested in, but there's not loads of research, is actually nutrition for improving brain performance. So like actual cognitive performance, how do we make our brain work as, as well as it possibly can? There's a little bit of research on a few things, but nowhere near as much as we need. And that's where stuff like intermittent fasting and certain other dietary requirements or diet types and things like that might be more interesting. Um, but most bankers, like you said, they're not at that level with their health so i'd try and sort out health and everything first probably body competition because mm. if someone's overweight then we probably would sort that first and then would start looking at what other like little one percenters do that would actually improve their brain performance which means they perform better at work. so is this where cbd oils could come involved potentially i've not i mean it's not an area that i've delved into massively mostly because when i work with athletes there's not a batch tested cbd product available so athletes have to have products that have been batch tested so they know they're free from a contaminant that would make them fail a test if they were took an open test um there isn't currently a cbd on the market that um sort of has had that testing so no athlete should be taking probably something for people listening should be taking cbd if they are competing in sports and i bet there are cbd's got yeah CBD's got loads of um, loads of hype and anecdote, but not really much research at all. Um, there is some research being done. I know in Liverpool they're doing a bit now, but I'd like to see that first before I start blanket recommending it to everyone. So yeah. do you think CBD oils, because obviously it's blowing up in the last few years, do you think it mm. is the way forward or, or not? I don't think so. But again, it's one of those things where if you're not a tested athlete, you want to try it. Um, and it makes you feel better. Like, who, again, who am I to tell you that it doesn't make you feel better? Or if it helps your recovery or it helps you sleep. The thing with something like sleep supplements, most of them don't have research. But if it's a placebo and it does help you sleep, then what's what's the issue? Like, if, it, if you say it helps you sleep, it helps you sleep. Um, and that's where I think CBD might have some sort of role with placebo. I, th- I think that's a, a massive thing as well, like you said, sort of like interlinking the two together. So like the, the bankers uh, or the people that I train like in central, um, in central London, they don't sleep a lot. They don't like literally their wives. I that, yeah. I, oh man, I don't know how they do it. Like I train some people and they're up at, you know, if the session's at seven, like, yeah, I went to bed at like three and like, you know, they're either doing some emails or something and I don't know how they perform. They But as well, the biggest thing I've probably found, and I don't know if you have working with corporate is, the amount of drink they get through is ridiculous. Like I've never, they're like fish. I've never ever seen or heard about people drinking like that to the extent they do. Um, well, how do you sort of combat that in your nutrition with like alcohol? 
it is really difficult and like you said both of those things in terms of alcohol and sleep are a cultural thing and like any sort of cultural thing in any sort of sport I've worked in really difficult to overcome um and what you sort of got to tell yourself is that if they've come to seek your help then they probably do want to change so <clears throat> they've got to be ready to change in order for you to help them change like my job is very difficult to do someone someone to change to the point where it's probably not worth my time um so we'd focus on the things they're very willing to change first and then potentially touch on reducing alcohol rather than cutting out completely. Mm. Um, and it comes down to adherence. If I say you're drinking 30 pints a week, I want you to drink no pints per week. They're going to tell me to do one and never see me again. If I say this week, can we try 20 pints and you go out on two nights rather than three nights? What do you say? You might get some buy-in there. So it's about create, creating that relationship, creating the buy-in. Um, yeah, and just seeing what they're willing to compromise on because at the end of the day it's their performance and their life if they're not willing to compromise they're not stupid but bankers understand that if they don't compromise these things they won't get the same results so at the end of the day it's in I their think, hands they've got that autonomy I think that's really interesting because Owen last week was talking about like small hurdles wasn't he and that's sort of the same thing you were going there really Charlie wasn't it you know giving someone a small hurdle to overcome and then gradually increase it um, yeah and- it's fine with those small behaviours is that they change someone's identity over time. So what becomes important to them changes. So whereas health isn't probably important to the bank at the time, but how they look is. Yeah, agree. Over time, they start changing how they look and actually go, okay, I feel better now. And now I want to feel even better. That's become part of my identity is as someone who cares about how they feel. And then that's when they start going, well, I've changed all these things and I've changed the person. Maybe alcohol's the next one in this step to feeling really good. And maybe we'll address sleep as well because I'm – become the person who never was who now cares about how they feel yeah. and with with the sleep what sort of uh, routine do you try and get them to get into like what's the what's the main methods to get a good sleep etc like that yes yeah, so there is a few different ones i think like screens is a huge one and everyone will know that like not being on screens about an hour before bed um i leave my phone in a different room which i've started doing this year it's made a massive difference just taking a book instead um and then there are other things which are quite individual. I think having a dark room is really important. Having um, the right temperature of the room is really important. It needs to be quite cool. Um, showering before bed can help some people. Um, things like that. that. Yeah. About yeah. the sauna, the sauna and the is it the saunas and the hot ba- baths or the cold baths before? It's about bed, an hour before, isn't it? It's, yeah. It's a hot bath. Generally, yeah, yeah. So that seems to help people in terms of like temperature regulation, yeah. getting their bodies temperature ready for bed. Um, but there are a few of the different things. Journaling for some people, if you go to bed like with your brain full of different ideas, which I often do, writing them down before you go to bed is generally a good idea. Um, bedtime and only using your bed when you're going to sleep. So like lying in bed, watching TV for three hours. Your body associates lying in bed with staying up and watching TV, not with sleeping. So only using your bed for sleep. Interesting. And we know obviously sleep is such a, if it was a drug, it would be off the shelves, wouldn't it? <laughs> you know what well, i mean it's yeah this is a very important well, such an important factor of everyone's life so, so there, there's that with sleep but where would you put as soon as you wake up there's so many people who don't like eating who just really puts them off or there's people like myself who will eat every second of every day <laughs> kind of thing so would you say breakfast is very important to get in straight away uh, just to fuel your day as an athlete this is talking about or because i know some athletes who you know, they look at breakfast and think, ah, I want to I want to stay away from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as an athlete, it will depend on what your training looks like. If you're training in the morning, something before that training session does make sense. What I will say is that if you struggle in the morning, doing the work the night before is a really good strategy. So between with your dinner and then after dinner, having multiple carbohydrate snacks um, will top up that muscle glycogen, which means that you have fuel for the next morning. And then all you need in the morning, like a banana or a cereal bar, just a little top up or a bagel or something then you'll be good to go um so yeah for an athlete having something is going to be better than nothing but making sure that you've got just a banana and some water is always better than nothing but the general population person the breakfast isn't the most important meal of the day um yeah. i think that was something pushed by kellogg's in like the 50s and 60s and they're now worth billions of pounds so work that one out yeah um, I, know, I know mike's got a question about bagels what is it with nutritionists and bagels i don't know what it is like, <laughs> yeah. like, as soon he texted me the other day he was like what is it with these guys and bagels I know <laughs> he's like, your head looks a bit like a bagel mike <laughs> <laughs> That's too good, this lockdown. literally he was just like 
yeah, so uh, free bagels. I was like, free bagels? What a day every time I'm training. Like, what is it with bagels? Charlie that- loves a bagel as well. What is it? Cinnamon raisin. Though, and actually, that's not what I've addressed. It's not something I've reflected on until you've just said that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think maybe people are scared of bread, and that's what does it. Yeah. 100%. I've got so many clients that's, that are like, yeah. oh, bread, no, 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 can't be eating that. And I was like, well, hang it's on. Same, it's the same thing, isn't it? Be- bread and a bagel? Effectively. One of the best questions I've ever got from an athlete was, is it true that a bagel is just 30 pieces of bread squashed together? What? And that was the point where I just had to leave the workshop. I was done. <laughs> <laughs> like, what, what do you say to that? I don't know. That's great. <laughs> and they had Nutella on the bagel as well. Yeah. <laughs> so there, there, is no, there is no reason except the bagel, except people are a little bit scared of bread. Yeah, maybe. I think maybe bagels are slightly easier to eat. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah, they're not um, as filling, are they? Correct no. me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure they have a slightly more protein um, in them compared to bread. I'm pretty sure like bread might have like five grams and like a bagel has eight. So for me, that's great. <laughs> Only but, you would know that, Mike. <laughs> or three grams. Yeah, I, even, I don't know. Yeah, you, yeah, you're probably right. Um, but that's about it. That's all I know. So, so I think when it comes to that as well, that was the athletes talking of, of like, yes, breakfast if you know you're going to be doing an endurance run training session in the morning getting some sort of fuel is very good talking about the corporate world would you try and say to people to get some breakfast down then because like you said with the cognitive stuff if if you're a breakfast eater yes if you're not then no like i said like i've heard horror stories of people working with nutritionists who believe that breakfast is the most important thing ever um and they'll say oh can you have like inflation breakfast say oh no i don't want that okay some porridge no, I don't want that. And I've gotten to the point where they said, oh, can you have some cocoa pops? And I'll go, okay, yeah, I'll have some cocoa pops and some orange juice. And these people are trying to lose weight. And how is that a better option than not eating breakfast for losing weight? Yeah. You've got like 400 calories, 500 calories of sugar or nothing. Which one do you, which one do you pick? Um, so yeah, if you're, not, if you're not a breakfast eater, then there's nothing magic about breakfast. If you are, that's great as well. With the cognitive stuff, that's quite interesting is that we know that we need glucose to fuel our brain. So if you've got really demanding work, then having some glucose is probably going to be useful because your brain uses it. But there's some evidence showing that when we're fasting, there might be some beneficial adaptation to the brain in terms of memory and learning. So it might depend on what sort of task you're doing. And that's when I was talking, there's not much research, but it's interesting. There might be something there where I actually personally think in the future, what we'll see is that really hard demanding work that's like takes concentration you'll fuel it if it's sort of creative work where you're just thinking or whether you're trying to learn something or just like chatting ideas maybe we'll fast that and maybe that's where we'll get some adaptation i don't know for sure but i think that might be where we look in 10 20 years interesting yeah so when when if you had if you had an athlete who is a breakfast eater just to give a few um, ideas to the listeners what kind of breakfast ideas would you would you advise yeah, so if, if you've got a session, then you're probably looking at something quite high in carbohydrate um, and then generally something in protein and probably with a portion or two of fruit or veg. So it will depend on what your training looks like for the day in terms of carbohydrate, but some overnight oats with some whey or some yogurt is really useful, like any sort of eggs, toast or bagel, whichever uh, combination is really useful <laughs> as well. Um, and depending on how much work you've got, sometimes both as well, which is always a good result. So. And I, I just got with the, you know, because I remember um, you're telling me about the sugar, et cetera, like that mm. for athletes and stuff. Do people need to get worried about having too much sugar, like the athletes when they're doing a lot? Or is it mostly people who are just sitting around the desks, et cetera, like that? Or are calories just calories? Does it matter? It's less important for the athlete than it is for the general population. Um, the thing with you is it's not just sugar. We've also, like, your diet quality is really high because we've got a lot of fruit and veg, we've got a lot of protein. Sugar only has an effect, like has a big effect on your blood glucose if you eat on its own. But when you eat it with fat, protein, other fiber, that slows the digestion down, which slows the effect on your blood sugar down. What you'll find with people that, like general population, they don't manage glucose very well anyway, because they're sedentary and possibly overweight, don't have much muscle mass, and they're eating more sugar in isolation. So that's when it's an issue. You're an athlete that handles glucose really well, because you've got a lot of muscle mass, you're quite lean, um, and you're exercising. So it probably doesn't make a massive difference. It's not the only focus, but for someone like you to get more calories and more carbohydrates on, sometimes we do have to turn to what can we eat that you're actually just going to eat a lot of and it won't make you feel too full. 
Oh, yeah. And is that is when you come to the exercise, what what sort of like go to snacks and grammage should people be taking per body weight for the sugar? And like if you're on a run, like is it every 40 minutes, every 60 minutes, every 30 minutes or does it all yeah, depend probably, on how long? Yeah, you're probably looking at something like a gram per kilo about an hour before you train. So kilo. like 70 kilo athlete, 70 grams, which is probably like a banana and a cereal bar, depending on what sort of thing you're getting or bagel. Um, and then during, you, you probably, if it's anything over about an hour duration is when you want to start, how do we fuel that? And you're probably looking at 30 to 60 grams per hour. Um, like if you're doing a 5K, you're doing it in 20 odd minutes, you don't need carbohydrate during that. But if you're doing a run that's longer than an hour, you probably want to start looking at how many grams of carbohydrate do we need? Probably something like 30 to 60 grams is good. You can probably get more on if you're doing a bike compared to a run because you're sat down, your stomach's not moving, stuff like that. Like trying to get carbs on when you're running is much more difficult than when you're cycling, for example. Um, but yeah, generally something like 30 to 60 grams, that can be gels, drinks, sweets, flapjacks, bananas, whatever suits you best is going to be what's best. Nice, nice. Well, think, sorry, go on. Come what on, about um, grammage for protein for like a strength athlete, for example? Like not, you know, just like basic guidelines for people listening. Yeah, so <clears throat> there's all sorts of different research here and there's not, we don't know a best really. So you're probably looking at something between 1.6 and 2 grams per kilo of body weight protein spaced out into those four to five meals. Okay. So we're looking at each meal having 0.4 to 0.55 grams per kilogram of protein per meal. So again, if you're like 80 kilos, that's about 32 grams per meal spaced out over four or five meals. And that's probably where we'd recommend that. With endurance athletes, it's not much different, but obviously for every gram of protein we're eating, we're taking away from potential carbohydrates we could be eating. So we only want as much as we need to recover and to um, have the muscle mass and things like that that we need. And then everything else should be, how do we get that towards fueling as much as we can? Yeah. Okay, cool. Nice. Did you want to ask something, Jim? Is that the same with, um, have you ever worked in any like tournaments, like any sevens tournaments or anything like that? How do you guys fuel that? For example, like if you're going to do, yeah, a game and then rest and then a game, do you, do you, do you make sure you eat loads in the break or is it you got to eat small portions or liquid or solid or what's the method for that? Yeah, it's, it's a nightmare to be honest, particularly because sometimes the schedule can be different. Yeah. So, like you can just be letting, oh, by the way, you're on in 20 minutes. You're like, shit, okay. Um the really important thing, first of all, is to do the work in the two days before that and make sure that your your fuel stores are up as much as you can. And how long are. do they last, Charlie? So if you could you fuel two days before an event? Is that right? Yeah, so you, can. you probably want... It takes probably 24 to 48 hours to maximally top up your glycogen stores. Um, and you're looking at about 10 grams per kilogram of carbohydrate per day to do that. So it's a, it's a serious amount of carbohydrate you need to get down you. If you don't have those stores topped up and then you start playing, you're not going to rescue that. It's the same with hydration. Like if you start dehydrated, you're not going to rescue that during the game. So the really important thing is to do the work first. During then, um, you've got to think, where are my big, bigger breaks so that I can have a meal? And something that's low in fiber, quite high in carbohydrate, really easy to eat is going to be important. Um, so like a white pasta, for example, like a white tuna pasta would be absolutely ideal. And then you've got to have those different snacks that we've spoken about that you know your stomach well and that you can go and grab and have a couple of them and feel absolutely fine to have throughout the day. It's like an like emergency. I'll, I'll run in 20 minutes. What should I do? Just a quick banana or a quick cereal bar, bagel, flapjack, etc. I think um, <laughs> there's been some incredible learnings there, definitely. And hopefully the listeners will see that nutrition is such a wide topic. Um, you've got, obviously, your corporate now you've got your athletes, and then you've got your general population. So with your future plans, what can we expect for you in the next few months, next year? What, where are we going with this? Good question. Um, you sound like my mum. What are you going to do with the future? Oh, God, um... I don't know. Have you looked at yeah, investing your money, Charlie? Know, your pension. Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing for dinner, mum. So I think probably keep going the one-to-one stuff because I really enjoy it, and I have such a varied like, client base. So like James doing something very weird um i've got a couple of people doing really weird walking challenges like walking for two days straight and like i don't know if you've seen that david goggins one which is like four hours on four hours off yeah two days you had a few people do that i've got someone who's considering doing that this year yeah she loves walking so she um i think she had a head replacement 
so she can't run, but she like walks marathons a couple of times a week for fun. Um, yeah, so people like that. I've still got a couple of strong athletes. I've still got a couple of people that just um, enjoy being leaner, so want to be a bit leaner and a bit healthier. I've got a couple of older clients now who, what would nutrition for health look like? So just keep growing that because I like, like I said, I've got experience working with most sort of people, so I really like working with a diverse sort of range of people. Um, I think it keeps me on my toes and it makes sure that I keep up to date with my knowledge. Um, I hate, I'd hate to be the person that just the strength nutritionist or just the marathon nutritionist or whatever. So um, I think that's really important as a practitioner. And then yeah, the corporate stuff. So me and oh, who you spoke to last week, pushing that, working with loads of different companies um, on corporate wellness and performance. So basically the behavior change stuff that you spoke to him about last week, which we're really big on, not just the here's more information because that doesn't work, but actually how do we change your behavior? Like how do you implement the stuff that we tell you, which is the most important thing. So that's the future, I think. I think that's that would be a really exciting sort of step for you because it's maybe something into not the unknown, but it's different, isn't it? And different is good yeah, sometimes. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. I like with that cognitive stuff that I spoke about. I'd love to do some research in that. So one thing I'm quite interested in, as well as corporate side, is like esports. Like esports are a really weird thing for me, but it's basically how do we make their brain perform better? And that interests me because no one's doing it and it's new, and that's quite exciting. Like. I love working with like football and rugby and whatever, but there's a lot of that everyone's doing that. I really like seeing actually what do we know, what don't we know, how do we apply what we know to what we don't know. So that's yeah. quite cool. I so, think the hurdles with the corporate stuff is going to be quite interesting as well because when you work with quite a lot of older characters and clients, obviously they have a lot of wise tales, don't they? You know, the old don't yeah. do this, don't do that. I think that's going to be quite hard to get overcome. You know, you've got a 60 or 50 year old who's a millionaire or whatever, and he's been doing this yeah. and you're trying to change that. I think that'd be a tough old task, but. Yeah, it's all metabolism and detox in it. So it's going to be a hell of an interesting one, but I love a challenge. So. Yeah. <laughs> right then, Charlie, if um, just going to come to a few tips in a minute for the young coaches listening, but. Is there anything that you would change in your career so far in the nutrition industry? I don't think so. I think everything that you've done in the past, having made mistakes, you learn from. So I don't think there's anything that I've done differently. The only thing maybe would be to start reflecting on those mistakes a bit earlier. I think once you've made a mistake, if you don't make a mistake, again, that's great. Um, the sooner you can reflect and go, could have done that differently, the better uh, practitioner you become. So the one thing I'd go with trying to be more self-aware and reflect more earlier on, but I wouldn't change any of the actions I did because I think that made me the practitioner I am now. Yeah. And would you say that you're confident enough or were confident enough when you were younger uh, coming into this nutrition coaching to seek out for help and advice? No, I was awful. So I do like a lot of talks now going back to unis that I've been at where they say, oh, what would you tell the students? And I basically go in and say, do everything that I didn't do. I was incredibly introverted as a teenager. Um, so like the whole of my university life didn't get much experience there. At Loughborough, when I did that internship, the first half of it, I basically didn't say a word. I would have group meetings with the other interns and like, I was probably the one who read the most. So I love telling everyone, oh, this is the research and this is what I found to actually working with coaches and athletes I wouldn't say a word I'd sit in meetings and it was like I was done um so I didn't have much of a network I didn't actually know how to communicate with people so yeah no I, I wish I did and going back now maybe I would change that but I think again I'm now aware of that and it's something that I actively try and do um but yeah no I didn't as a student would you say that you're open to um, questions off younger coaches if they need a bit of help and advice somewhere? Because we've obviously had, we had Owen, uh, Owen on and he was absolutely amazing. And, you know, we even asked him a few questions at the end of the podcast. And it's just nice to hear somebody uh, higher level than you give you that advice in coaching. And it, Pete Burridge in our first one. So would you say if somebody messages you, you know, you're willing to give them that advice and help? Yeah, 100%. I've done like, various mentoring and Zoom calls and stuff with dozens of students now, to be fair, because, again, I don't think it's something that I had or felt I had access to, and yeah. I would have benefited from it massively. So, yeah, 100%. I actually really enjoyed doing that. Um, I think it's a big part of, not that I'm, like, an expert or miles ahead in the field, but I think you just have to be further along than that person is to be yeah. useful and to be helpful. So if I'm further along than someone else, I'm more than willing to help them. 
Yeah, so guys, to the young younger nutrition coaches listening, and even to the S and C coaches as well, that just want a bit of advice. We will tag Charlie in our Instagram post, and um, so please just ask questions if you're unsure, because we're here to help. And last bit, Charlie, to cap this off, top three tips uh, to these young nutrition coaches. Yeah, good. That's a very good question. Um, I think work hard is one that's actually really underestimated. Um, I think people sort of just do like a little bit of work. Like, for example, when you are doing networking, they'll send a couple of emails, won't get anything back and go, well, it doesn't work. Then. When like what you've got to think is actually my, maybe my success rate is going to be one or 2%. So I've got to put in hundreds of emails, hundreds of hours to get that one or 2%. If I yeah. just do two hours, I'm not going to get the 2%. So first one's always going to be work hard. I don't think there's any substitute for that. The second one I think that I've found really useful is just like learn and share in public. So when you're doing reading, when you're doing thinking books, journals, whatever it is, get on a Twitter, get on a LinkedIn and start sharing your ideas. Like tag the people that you've read, say, oh, I really enjoyed this. Um, what do you think of this? These are my ideas. How would you apply this to this? That's what networking is to me, is that like sharing ideas and promoting what your ideas are rather than just saying, hi, I'm such and such from this uni give me experience. I don't think people like that. If you can show you've engaged with what they're doing, what they're researching, their thoughts, people really enjoy that and you'll stand out then. Um, and then the third one's probably when it comes to CV, it's a similar sort of thing. Show that you're different, show that you meet the demands of whatever the role is saying to you. Because um, I've like done some hiring, did some internship hiring, that sort of thing. And the amount of CVs that say someone's passionate, like good at time management and hardworking, and I've never given someone a job based on any of those words in a CV, but every single CV says it without, without fail. Like, show me why the problem I've got with this job is why I'm putting it out. This is the problem we need solving. Show me why you're the person to solve that problem. Amazing. So takeaways, ta takeaways there, guys, is be the problem solver. Okay. Mm -hmm. Show you're passionate, but solve someone's problem. That's, uh, that's where you'll be successful. So, guys, thanks very much for listening. Charlie, thanks for coming on. Cheers, Charlie. Cheers, Charlie. Thank you, mate. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope you were able to take something from it and enjoyed it as much as us. It would be a great help if you could hit the download or subscribe button below and share the podcast to fellow coaches, friends, or athletes. 